tonight's show, we have an interview with Jay and Osani as they interview poet, singer, songwriter, Tara Williamson. Tara Williamson has since moved off to the West Coast, but was Winnipeg based for a very long time. Taken from her bio directly, Tara Williamson is a First Nation singer-songwriter. Her music is an unflinching document of self, the truth that hurts before it heals. Her first two EPs, Lie Low, produced by James McKenty, and Indian Summer, produced by Kenny Starr, were received with praise and made it on numerous music blogs and countdowns across Turtle Island. Her newest album, Songs to Keep Us Warm, produced by Jim Bryson, builds on the clever songwriting expressive vocals heard in her first two EPs, while revealing the deep heart of an artist willing to risk vulnerability in the pursuit of emotional truth. Not only a recording and performing artist, Tara is also a professional writer and educator. She is currently the editor of an online indigenous media platform, Indian and Cowboy, and is working on a musical about murdered and missing indigenous women under the mentorship of Thompson Highway. Now, without further ado, our interview, Osani J with Tara Williamson on 101.5 UMFM. You're listening to 101.5 UMFM with Osani. And Jay. Uh, right now we're interviewing Tara Williamson. At Studio 393, we like to make music. And since you're a songwriter, we decided to have on the on the radio show tonight. Great, thanks. So yeah, if I want to talk about what's current and uh what what's uh what's unfolding uh what what's unfolding with your music and how did that <laughs> single come about yeah thanks way to tie it in there um yeah unfolding so i have a song enfolding that is unfolding um that i just released last friday on march 29th and um it was a song that was actually um i wrote it was commissioned by um aptn they were doing a new series called amplify that i think will start in um in the fall and so they asked a bunch of singer songwriters indigenous singer songwriters to um write a song based on or inspired by another indigenous either piece of art or something historical but just so the show will um will look at the indigenous event person art piece and then also look at the songwriting process and then also i got to make a music video so yeah so that's um that was really exciting and uh yeah we just wanted to ask you about um, working. Uh, you were working on a musical for murdered and missing Indigenous women. Yeah, we were wondering how that. How's that? How is that going? Um, uh, that's a great question. I'm actually on my way to take uh, uh, some a few weeks, three about three or four weeks of vacation. But my vacation includes writing, like having time to write. So um, I'm pretty close to a first draft. The first draft of it, um, it's a really non-linear process. Uh, Thompson Highway was a really awesome mentor and he was helping me. Um, and it's sort of like throw logic out and piece, like the way I'm, the, the process is really bizarre. So it really, um, or not bizarre, it's just not what I'm used to. So it, um, yeah, so it just means that I've had to, I really have to put the time aside to do it. Like it, it's hard for me to do it while I have anything else on the go. So I'm hoping in the next month I'll have a solid first draft and then I can tell you more about it. Amazing. So this project, 
it sounds like to me it's very conceptual. I was just wondering with with a project to this magnitude, does having a law degree or having like having that knowledge in a structure help with your albums and help with your songwriting and the way that you make your music? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think sometimes having like a, um, when it comes to like writing, when it comes to writing like the musical or writing a script, because I didn't even know, I rea- I said I was like, I want to write a musical and I was so excited and then I realized, oh, I need to learn how to write a script. <laughs> I had, of course you do, I didn't think of that. And sometimes actually I find like the um, Western education can hold you back. For, for me, like you kind of have to throw everything out the window to be able to just be creative sometimes. But yes, definitely in terms of, um, um, education has helped in so many other ways. A helps me get jobs, which helps me support my music career. So I can do, you know, music professionally part-time and su- sustain it and support myself. And then absolutely things like, cause I'm self-managed. I've always been self-managed. I'm my own agent and manager, um, which gets really overwhelming sometimes, but, um, absolutely being able to, you know, understand contracts or, or um, know how to organize all that info. Although I've certainly still made mistakes, but mm-hmm. you were nominated for a best music award in 2017. But what happened from then to now? Oh, what happened from then to now? What did happen from then to now? A lot happened. My life happened. A lot happened in my life, which is sort of a um, a big thing. Um, um, so I the enfolding will be part of. Um, uh, hopefully I'm working on another album so I started songwriting differently um, than I have in the past because I was traveling a lot and I wasn't I had like no fixed address for about a year Um, and so it meant I didn't have a piano or I didn't have a guitar Um, and so I started writing on Logic and um, and using like digital instrumentation and so it really changed how I wrote and changed my sound a lot so um, the next album will I think reflect that sort of what's happened since then and um yeah okay amazing so for me this is uh i like making music so this is more for the uh nerdy brainiac (laughs) musicians uh do you have a preference when it comes to analog and digital oh Oh, i you know what i don't have i don't have a preference um I, i will say i remember the first time i heard ella fitzgerald on a record that it blew my mind like it just like it felt like I was in the room with her listening to her sing um in saying that analog's really expensive to do and like people you know people will make vinyl but to really use vinyl as its medium like you need to record on tape never mind you know mixing and mastering so a lot of people don't do that because tape's really expensive and hard to find um so they'll just sort of remix or remaster it for vinyl at the end and that's cool and that's fine um um, so I do love the sound of like vinyl and real vinyl on tape, but um, but I don't think I have a preference. No, and especially now with the new stuff that that I'm doing, it's like it's it's heavily digital and electronic, and so yeah. Mm. What made you decide to go that way into the digital electronic realm for your new record? Like in comparison to Lilo, which was to me a very folky record and a very warm record. What makes you want to go in this direction sonically? Yeah, well, some of it, like I say, was just out of pure necessity. Um, some of it was what I was listening to changed. Like I, um, and, an, and a big thing for me when I got back into music, because I spent a decade in university, and, um, um, and so I really wasn't playing a lot of music. And so when I came back to music, I sort of made a deal with myself that I was like, okay, if you're going to do this, I want to be able to do it for the rest of my life. And part of that meant, so that sustainability, what does that look like? Being able to write grants, being able to, 
um, you know, not burn myself out. And then also diversity was that I was like, I want to play with as many musicians as I can and learn from as many people as I can. And so from all, I think all my um, recordings, all my projects are different. Like Lilo is, you know, like folkier or jazzier. Indian Summer, Kenny Starr did beats for Indian Summer. And Songs Keep Us Warm was like really folky. And so this one will be more electronic. So yeah, so it's sort of, it's part of my practice, I think, actually, to just keep expanding and diversifying and... Awesome. Uh, years ago, your project was released at Goodwill. Oh, yeah. How would that be different? How would how would I do it differently, or would I? Or what do you mean? Yeah. Um, I'd have a manager because it was really hard to put on your own show when you're like the musician. And you're like, I just want to go backstage and like rest and rehearse. Um, um, otherwise, I don't know. I mean, I love the Goodwill. That was great. It was recommended, and so I don't know. Um, I think I'd probably release there again, actually. Oh, amazing. <laughs> so that was that project was 2013, right? Uh, no, I think I released. I think I released songs to keep us warm at, at Goodwill. So that would have been 2016. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, when we were looking on your uh, on when we were looking for your music, it said. 2013 that was when you dropped like some of your first yeah that would have been like my first stuff yeah yeah but was that when you started making music like so i actually so i started started making music when i was young mm -hmm. i i still know my the very first song i ever wrote it is bad but uh but it's great because i wrote it and i remember it um so i started making music pretty young and then playing music and then i went to um tried to go to music school for like six weeks and i dropped out because i didn't like i didn't i didn't want to make steady music like i didn't want to make it be my, like you know, I, I, it took, out, took the fun out of it for me. Um, um, and then when I came back, so then I went to school for a bunch of other stuff. And I would still play music once in a while, but certainly not professionally and wasn't writing a lot. Um, I actually started, if you, look, if you look back far enough, I don't know if it's still on my SoundCloud or there's a CBC page. There's a project called um, Rough Around the Edges. And that was um, me recording things on GarageBand. And like, they're, they're rough, man. And it's like, I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't have a microphone. I was, you know, it was like, you know, 20, it was probably 2011 um, or something. If you go really far back, um, there's a whole part. And what was interesting about that, though, is that then when I came onto the scene at, at, and released like a professionally made record, people thought it was my second album. Like, people were familiar with my music from... Um, from these really bad garage band recordings. But it was great because that was the whole point is I was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm just going to do it, right? I'm not going to wait for funding. I'm not going to wait for whatever. So, yeah, so there's some, if you dig, there's some real batters out there. <laughs> Amazing. So what would uh, songwriting or making a project, what would that look like now? Do you just get in the studio and start writing or do you think about these sort of concepts and then have everything prepared? Like what is your process like? Well, process is really different a lot of the time. Like, um, I have some songs I call gift songs where I just sit down and so I'm just the vessel for a muse that is, that is like writing a song for me. And I write it in 15 minutes and the song is done and it's amazing. That does not happen that often, but it does. Um, a lot of times I'll just sit down at the piano. I, I, I prefer writing on piano, it's more comfortable on piano than guitar. Um, and I will start um, working out you know chord structures first um even when if i'm going to end up doing something sort of electronically i'll often use a piano to figure out like the bass line or the chord structure 
Um, or sometimes I'll be like walking and a set of lyrics or words or something will come to mind and I'll put them in my phone or I'll say them out loud and then I'll start from there. So it really, really varies. Um, yeah, it really, really varies. And then also once you start playing when like, so I'll do that on my own. I'm, by the time I get to studio, I'm prepared. Like I'm ready. It's just, that's actually, people do it differently, but unless you have a lot of money, it's not smart to not use studio time for recording because it's expensive. Right. So, I mean, you know, the big, the big shots who are like zillionaires, like can go and be like, Oh, I'm just going to write in studio. It's like, yeah. Cause there's some huge label paying for it. Um, but if you're paying for it, um, it's, you, th I would say my advice would be go in prepared as, and rehearsed, make sure your band's rehearsed. Um, but yeah, songs will also change once I've rehearsed them with a band, right? When I hear other musicians play, play on them, it's like, it's really cool. That's one of my favorite things actually is playing with other musicians. I love playing with a band. Uh, so recently I saw on your Twitter that you've taken some issues with the IMA and after reading that I think it was it's actually almost like a it seems like a complex issue like it's not just black and white I just wanted to know what your thoughts about that is and like um yeah what you think about is it the artist's responsibilities or if it's the award ceremony's responsibilities to uh, look at that and and decide like no we can't we can't have that sort of message here yeah that's a good question way to just jump into the controversy <laughs> you're right it is complicated like it's not black and white um and so the issue is that the imas there's as um, um inuit community has come out um um upset and asking for a recognition that one an artist who is cree who's not inuit um has been using throat singing on their um on their records um and hasn't been given permission and hasn't been taught by anyone um and so they approached the imas and the, com uh, the the board to withdraw the nomination or to ask the artist to withdraw and the imas responded by saying you know no and that's you know it's a folk music category it's not a traditional category she's not claiming to be inuit like a few different things um um, and that, you know, culture is for sharing. So I think that the responsibility lies on both the artist and the organization. I think it's um, one thing it makes sort of very, very glaringly obvious is that um, uh, the IMA should already have had a policy around this. Like it's, they've been around a while. Like we should have a, we're indigenous people. Cultural appropriation happens all the time. Like, so we need to have an understanding of what that means. And it's not just non-indigenous people. It's across, you know, our nations. And um, throat singing was, you know, was almost lost for Inuit people. And it's only been the last 50 years or so that it's been, they've been, um, it's making a resurgence and young artists are, um, are, um, you know, taking it back up. And so understandably, there's a real protectiveness um, around throat singing. Um, and that the big thing for me is just if Inuit people are telling us, Inuit throat singers are saying, um, no, it's not okay. Well, then I think that's sort of, okay, then we say it's not okay and we stop. Let's stop everything. Let's take a step back and have the conversation. But so I don't know what's going to happen with that. I do though think, I think it would, I think it's really the responsibility of both the IMAs and the artists to sort of, because I, yeah, I sort of think to myself as, as an artist, do I want to be the person in that position, right? Like hmm. if like, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. So this is a pretty yes or no question, but are you, so after that, are you kind of like trying to distance yourself a little bit from the IMA or are you still going to attend or? You know what's funny? There's actually, there's a songwriter award, a TD songwriter award um, through SOCAN. And I don't, I was like, I, I already had to convince myself like, okay, it's TD. Like, do I want to be, a f do I want to apply for an award that, 
I was like, well, but you bank with the bank. And if they're just going to give you money, like I'd already talked myself into it. And then last night I got to the end of it and you need it. Um, it'll be presented at the IMAs. And I made a decision not to, I was like, no, I can't, <laughs> I can't after all of this right now, I can't in good conscience show up. And so right now I'm keeping a bit of a distance. Yeah. Mm. But we'll see how it moves. You know, you gotta be open-minded and flexible. I think that's one of the issues when we all dig our heels in and mm. aren't flexible about it. That's often what causes conflict. So, mm. so, uh, you're maybe like a little bit of a different world than hip hop, but maybe meet some hip hop artists. I was just wondering how, if you see someone and let's just say their music <laughs> is cause your songs are like pretty politically correct. And, uh, and, uh, you're not, you're not obviously talking about like hierarchy and all that stuff, but if you run into someone and their music like do you believe it's important to separate the message from the artist or if you see some an artist with that sort of message do you just try to distance yourself from them oh i i i i think you i don't think you separate it i think that's a really um um I, I think it's irresponsible, I think. And if you when you practice art and you're an artist, you know it's part of you. Like, you can't separate it out. Unless you're just doing it commercially for show and this is your persona. And if that's the case, fine. But then you're trying to get a rise out of people and you're trying to, you know, like, create, um, whether it's dialogue or division, like, who knows. Um, so, yeah, no, I absolutely, um, I think artists need to be responsible for their message and for what they're saying. And, um, and you know, and you can be provocative as much as you want. And I also think, you know, we don't have to be right or agree. Like, what, what does being right mean? And we don't have to agree with each other. And we can we all change, right? We can learn and change. So, again, I think there's lots of room in there. There's There are very few artists, um, you know, that I'm, that I'm, that I would say, no, I will never listen to their music or I won't support them. But yeah, but there are some for sure. Mm. Amazing. So I just wanted to uh, end this uh, or like sort of, I guess, have this little end on a little bit of a happier note. <laughs> um, but I was listening to songs to keep us warm and I was just wondering what, what inspired that. <laughs> the cold. It was so cold <laughs> here. Um, it was... Uh, uh, yeah, they were sort of, there were songs I'd written, written a lot of that album in the winter. I actually wasn't in Winnipeg for some of it, but for some of it I was. Um, and in, in, but in, I had an apartment in Peterborough. Was, oh, I love that apartment. It was this big, really, really, really tall ceilings and like wood and these front doors. And like when there'd be a snowstorm, you felt like you were in a snow globe because I had these huge windows. And, um, and a lot of those songs were written. Well, I, I mean, that's what I was legitimately trying to do was just stay warm and be like, okay, okay, music will keep me warm this winter. Um, yeah, so that was, so, so it's largely just about winter and certainly that's influenced <laughs> by having been from Manitoba. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, it's been 101.5 UMFM. Thank you, Tara, for coming Thanks, through. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Um, yep, yeah, have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> this is 393. Signing off. <laughs>